If you will, turn in your Bibles to the 8th chapter, 2 Corinthians, as we continue our study through the Word. So, you'll remember that Paul begins uh, here writing this letter to them as, as he is on his third missionary journey. He is heading towards uh, Corinth when he writes this letter. By review, let's take a look at the map for a second. And you remember that Paul's chief concern here is to take a collection and to bring it to the church that is in Jerusalem. Paul was in Ephesus, uh, and he had sent Titus uh, over to Corinth, and, and Paul then was going to join him, but come up through Macedonia. He comes up in Asia to Troas. That's where he's supposed to meet Titus. Titus is going to bring the letter over to Corinth, and then he is going to make his way up. Paul waits in Troas, waits in Troas, waits in Troas. Titus doesn't show up. So Paul sails over to Macedonia and begins to work his way through the Macedonian churches. So Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, those were the churches that were up in Macedonia. While Paul is in Philippi is when Titus now meets him. And so Paul sits down there in Philippi to write this letter and then send Titus with the letter back to Corinth while he continues to visit Thessalonica and Berea and then he is going to join to with the Corinthians there in Corinth. So he is interested in taking this collection for the poor that are there in Jerusalem. Now you remember that when the Jews accepted Jesus Christ as their savior, as the Messiah, that that made them a social pariah. They were basically kicked uh, out of the culture. They lost their friends. They lost their jobs and, and all because of their love for the Lord. So they suffered financial difficulty and hardship there in Jerusalem. Paul wants to take a collection from the Gentile churches and come over and bring it to the brothers and sisters in the Lord that are there in Jerusalem. And so we are going to see that Paul now, having talked through and reconciled with the church in Corinth in this chapter, we're going to see that he is now exhorting them into the collection that he is going to be bringing to the church in Jerusalem and wants them to continue to prepare. This is a collection that they had talked about a year earlier and that they had now begun to do the groundwork for that collection. Paul then had to deal with the difficult issues. Everything had gotten resolved. And now Paul is back on track with finishing his plans to come and to visit him. He's going to talk about generosity. He's going to talk about the spirit of love and the generosity of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and in our lives when it comes to giving. We are selfish by nature. And so to give, to release, to be a steward over what we have is the spiritual maturity that Paul here is going to address with the Corinthians. 
verse 1 here of this 8th chapter, Paul talks about and says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. So Paul now talking to the Corinthians was referencing now the generosity of the Macedonians. Corinth was a rich business center, financially tremendously prosperous and successful because of their trade routes and where they were located. Berea and Thessalonica and Philippi, not so much. These were not prosperous centers. And the Christians that were living there, you will remember that they were persecuted by the Judaizers. Remember how Paul was chased uh, from each of these uh, cities, stoned in Philippi, and you know goes to Thessalonica, he is hassled in Thessalonica, retreats to Berea, and then continues to work his way down. Well, that persecution continued, and and so the Christians that were there in Macedonia, they, they were struggling themselves uh, financially. But when Paul talks to them you know, about what he's doing in Jerusalem, he's not really expecting, he doesn't really even want to tell them about the need in Jerusalem because they themselves were undergoing financial hardships. But when the churches in Macedonia found out that the Jerusalem brothers and sisters were struggling, they couldn't be stopped. They absolutely insisted on getting a collection together and now sending it with the other churches to the believers that were there. And it says that they gave and abounded in the riches of their liberality. He says in verse 3, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And so here we see that, that now they implored us in, in much urgency that we would receive the gift. And, and he says, you know, that they gave according to their ability. And then when Paul thinks about it, he goes, you know what, it was even more than their ability. You remember the widow's might. And you remember how there was this woman that, that she gave just two mites. It was a small offering there in the offering box in Jerusalem. And Jesus was watching and, and he points out her generosity. Even though the amount that she gave was very small, Jesus said it was all that she had. She didn't give out of the excess that she had in her life. She gave sacrificially. And so here, Paul now pointing to these Macedonians and the way that they, though they were impoverished, they refused to be excluded from the collection. And then they gave, and they gave sacrificially. And so Paul says in verse 5, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. We see here, you know, why were the Macedonians such a good example of giving? And Paul here says, because they first gave themselves to the Lord. 
And there is this surrendering of ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I believe that, you know, we receive Jesus as Savior, and we say that He is Lord, but oftentimes that Lordship is an incremental expanse in our lives. And, and getting to that place of spiritual maturity to where we recognize that everything that we have is actually God's and that it's not ours and that we are just the stewards that God has given our possessions of time and treasure and talent. Those are the, the three stewardships that every Christian has. You have a certain amount of time and, and what time are you going to allow God to use in your life to be able to serve others? You have talents that God has given to you, spiritual gifts. Paul talks about that and so it is that stewardship of surrendering that gift to the Lord so that the Lord can use it in the building of his kingdom and then there is the treasure, there is the final financial resources that each and every one of us has have a stewardship uh, over. And so here we see that, that this was the stewardship. They had given themselves to the Lord. And so though they didn't have much, they brought it before the Lord and said, Lord, what would you have us to do in this situation? And so the Lord moved on the hearts of the people and they were generous in this contribution for the welfare of the believers that were there in Jerusalem. And so it was a surrendering of themselves first to the Lord and now, Lord, direct me not only in this situation, but in every area of my life. Lord, direct me in my marriage. Lord, direct me in my family. Lord, direct me in my business. Lord, direct me in, in all of the decisions that I have in my life. We see that the Lord tells us that if any of us lacks wisdom, anybody lack wisdom? You know, it's like all of us, you know, it's like if anybody lacks wisdom, then just simply ask. And it says that God will pour out his wisdom. He will help us to make the decisions to lead us and to guide us. Jesus invites us to follow him. And, and the Lord is willing to communicate with us to be able to lead us and to be able to help us. And so we see that the first step of their generosity was that it was a surrender to the Lord. And then the Lord directed that generosity. He says in verse 6, and so we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. And so here we see that, you know, Paul now is exhorting them and encouraging them to what they had already begun. Paul had talked to them before about this collection that was going to be taken. And so now what was begun, let's go ahead and complete it. And, and so verse 7, but as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. The Corinthian church was rich. They, they had this multitude of the spiritual gifts that were in uh, operation. The church was a thriving, healthy church. They prided themselves on, uh, on the 
strengthen the health of their church. And, and Paul says, as, as you have been blessed, as you've been blessed in faith and speech and in knowledge and in the diligence and the zeal and the earnest thing in the things of God, he says, also now, he says, see that you abound in, in this grace as well. Giving is the essence of grace. Grace is an outflow. That's what grace is. It is a bestowing of grace. When we are the recipients of grace, it is because it is being extended in giving. And so here we see at the heart of grace is giving. And so Paul now says that, you know, in this opportunity, make sure that you allow yourself to be led by the Lord, that you would be gracious. Paul wanted them to excel in their giving because giving expresses uh, love. And love is the essence uh, of the quality of our life as believers. They will know that you're my disciples, Jesus said, by the love that they have one for another. And so Paul here is providing an opportunity to the Corinthians to be able to love the brothers and sisters that are there in Jerusalem. And so you have this opportunity. Take advantage of it. Make, make sure that you allow the Lord to love through you onto, onto the Jerusalem brothers and sisters. He says in verse 8, I speak not by commandment. Paul isn't shaking them down. He's not demanding. He's not commanding. He's just simply presenting the opportunity before them. And so not speak by commandment but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich Paul when he says that I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others he is comparing the corinthians to the macedonians he is letting them know how the macedonians excelled in giving here in this opportunity that was presented before them but we see here also he is not using competition as a means of trying to increase the giving he is just simply using them as an example. He speaks of the example of the Macedonians, but then he moves from that example to another example. And that example is Jesus Christ. And we see the way in which Jesus Christ uh, gives the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he, for our sake, though he was rich, he became poor that through Christ's poverty, through his surrender, that we might become rich. John's gospel tells us that greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And so when we look at the, the sacrificial aspect, when we look at the grace of the Lord, when we look at the giving of the Lord, he gave everything for us to be able to be blessed. And so the model of giving is set by the one who has invited us to follow uh, after him. And, and in this I give advice, verse 10, 
It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. And so Paul here referencing the fact that this wasn't something, you know, that was brand new, that he had been talking about this with them and, and reminds them all away back a, a year ago and, and that they had begun. And so Paul tells them now that the, the completion is important. He has begun a good work, is faithful to complete it. We see that the Bible says that the end of something is better than, than the completion. And I don't know about you, but I think that it's easy to start well, but it's not always as easy to end well, to finish now and to bring to completion. They had started well, but now there had been a pause as Paul had been dealing with other things and they had been working through other issues. And, and now it's back to the business at hand, back to this collection to bring to the Jerusalem saints. And, uh, and so uh, here he says, you know, once again, that there might be a completion. Notice this, out of what you have, we see that, you know, God isn't expecting us to give what we don't have. It's out of the richness that he has already supplied in our life that he is asking now to, for good stewardship, for him to be able to direct the resources where he would seek to have them. And so here, out of what you already have, what God has already blessed you with, and says in verse 12, for if there is first a willing mind... It is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. And so it starts off with a willingness. Are you being directed by God to help? And it's interesting the way that, you know, God will, will give us a passion. God will move us. God will give us compassion in certain situations. And, and in other situations, we don't have that same prodding of the spirit forwards. And, and so Paul says, you know, it first begins with an opportunity. And then you bring the opportunity before the Lord. And then there are those situations where the Lord quickens our heart and we're, we're excited to, to help in this situation. In other words, and other times, it's more obligation. It's more like, well, I'm not, I don't really feel personally, you know, connected on this or there isn't that real, you know, excitement. He says, but it, it starts when you have an opportunity, you bring it before the Lord and then you get excited about it. And so there is this, you know, this move of the Spirit upon your heart. He says, and then the next step is out of what you already have. In other words, he's not trying to burden anybody whatsoever. Giving shouldn't be a, a burden. It's out of what you already have that now there is this excitement to, to get involved and to be a partaker in the work that is taking place. And so, not according to what he does not have, he says in verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. And so, and here again, Paul is talking about this, you know, this essence of, of giving. And Paul wants to make sure that nobody is giving by guilt, that no one is being, you know, compressed or manipulated into giving. And so Paul is very gentle here and making sure that 
Everybody understands that, you know, it wasn't that, you know, well, Paul, he leaned on us pretty hard on that, you know. It's like, you know, I've heard of churches where they're like, you know, they take a collection and then and they go count the collection while the service is going and they go, we didn't bring in enough in that first collection, we're going to have a second collection, you know. And and then comes the third collection because we're not leaving here till we hit quota, you know. I mean, and that, that compulsion that, you know, that that begging, that manipulating, and, and all that can take place. Paul always wants to be above reproach. Paul never wants a single bit of, of manipulation in the giving. He wants the Spirit to move on the hearts of the people with the opportunity that the Lord has put before them to be partakers now of the fruit of the work that is going on. And so you, you see the gentleness uh, here. I, I'm not trying to help them out and now put a burden on to you. That didn't help. That just shifted the burden. I'm trying to ease uh, a burden, not just displace it uh, here. So you know, I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, and that there may be an equality. As Gentiles, Paul sees us now as, you know, the God's people was the nation of Israel, to the nation of Israel was given the promises of, of God. But now, as believers, we've been grafted uh, in as God's people. And so the, the Jews and the Jewish believers there, you know, they're the roots through which we have been grafted in. The Gentiles, you remember, and the Jews, they had nothing to do with one another. And so the, uh, the Jews, they were reluctant. They were having a difficulty in understanding that the Gentiles are now God's people. <laughs> and so Paul here is seeking to bring this love offering to them to kind of help bridge that gap that the, that the Gentile Christians have kind of been grafted into the Jewish promises. And, and so their abundance of the promises of God have now, you know, come to us. And now Paul is saying, you know, they're rich in their spiritual heritage. You, you are wealthy and, and prosperous. And so you're partaking of the, the richness of their heritage. You can bless them back with the, with the physical possessions. And, and there will be this, this sharing now and this unity as as Paul remember that this is during the time that the old covenant is fading and the new covenant now is eclipsing it and so Paul here seeing this you know this opportunity of sharing what 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 we have an abundance of you might have a shortage and then it might turn around the other way and you might have the shortage and we might have the abundance and so you know Paul is really showing the family nature of the body of Christ uh, and how the family helps out one another when they're going through difficulty or uh, or hardship and and so verse 15 as it is written he who gathered much had nothing left over he who gathered little had no lack Paul saw in the pattern of God the way that God takes care of us and he wanted that same love now to be expressed uh, between the churches. 
the quotation that he uses here is the way that God had set breakfast out every single morning for the nation of Israel there when they were in the wilderness. And God provided enough so that everybody could go out and whatever their need was, there was enough. There was a, a sufficiency. Everybody was blessed and, and taken care of. Paul here sees that, you know, the, to those that gathered more, they didn't have anything left over. And, and for those that didn't gather as much, they still had what they needed. And so Paul here sees that, you know, the different collections uh, of various difference, but that there is a mutual sharing that can take place. And then everybody's needs are, uh, are, are met. And so here we see that, you know, Paul once again urging them to bring this before the Lord. He says in verse 16, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. Now, you know, Paul is talking about them caring about the, the church in Jerusalem and, you know, to allow God to move on their heart to care for the church in Jerusalem. He says that same care for others. He says, do you know what? You've been the recipient of that same care. That same care, you've received it through Titus. Titus had a burden for you. Titus had a desire to help out your church. Though he's not from their church, he desires to be able to be a blessing to their church in the same way that Paul is inviting the Corinthians to be a blessing to the church that is there in Jerusalem. He says, and so, you know, as he's talking about the, the abundance can minister to those that are in need and, and they have abundance in Corinth, there's a need there. But Paul says that you also had a shortage and Titus was the one that came and, and met your need. That same care for others, you've been the recipients of it through Titus's ministry to you. He says here, but thanks be to God who put the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. When Paul had the letter that he wanted to get into the hands of the Corinthians, you know, he looked around as to who would make the arduous journey. It wasn't easy traveling back then. It was hard and it was dangerous. And Titus was like, I'll go. I'll, I'll bring the letter. I'll, I'll sacrifice my time and, and go to help out the Corinthians. And so that same sacrificial, selfless care, they've already been the recipients of it. That's the same care. That's the same heart that Paul now is asking of them towards the, uh, the Corinthians. And I, I mean, towards the, the saints that are there in, in Jerusalem. So he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own uh, accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. And so here Paul now is talking about, you know, he had already sent Titus and now Titus is going to head back with 
the letter that is before us right here, Second Corinthians. But Titus is going to go now with two other brothers. Paul's going to talk about these other brothers. He's not going to mention them by name, but he's going to speak about them now in these next couple of, uh, of verses uh, here. And, and so, you know, he says uh, here that, uh, that this individual, he's well known to you, he brings the gospel around. So he is a, a helper now of Paul that is well known. Who is this individual? Scholars are divided over who it is. We certainly can't know for certain, but there's a list of names that are the, you know, the nominees to who these two could be. And so Silas is one of those. Silas was one of the companions of Paul. Luke, the writer of the gospel, is another of these. Dr. Luke could have been the one that is being talked about here. Timothy, Barnabas is another one. Trophimus is another one and uh, and so uh, here whoever it was they were well known though uh, and so Paul is sending them uh, along with Titus now bringing this letter to them he says in verse 20 avoiding this that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us providing honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord but also in the sight of men so Paul is ensuring that the way that this money is being handled is going to be done in such a way that no one could speak evil of Paul or of his ministry, making sure that the integrity is above reproach and the accounting now is transparent so that no one can lay a charge because this is obviously going to be a, a large gift that is going to come to the church there in Jerusalem. And, and so, verse 22, and we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence uh, which we have in you. And so, it proved uh, diligent in many matters, and, and so a, a trusted, proven, faithful servant of the Lord. Verse 23, if anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. And so Paul now speaking about those that are going to be accompanying uh, Titus and about Titus uh, himself. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. And so Paul asks them now to come through and make sure that they present it before the Lord and that they pray about it so that the grace of God can flow through them as an instrument now to bless those that are in Jerusalem. As we close our study here, I want to draw our attention for a minute back to verse 9. Back to where Paul talks about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the conduit of blessing that Jesus Christ uh, is. And he says that though he was rich, and, and when you stop for a minute and you examine that verse, though, though he was rich, when was Jesus rich? When, when was it that Paul now is talking about, you know, when he is uh, rich? Well, it was certainly not when he came into the world as a, as a babe in, in Bethlehem. I mean, the absolute humility of Christ to be born there in a stable, 
to be laid in a manger. The King of Glory, the Creator God of the universe, incarnate, could have come into this world in, in any way, shape, or form that God chose. The whole world could have bowed at his knees at the glorious coming of Jesus Christ in his incarnation. And so certainly when, when you look at the way in which Jesus was born, there, there certainly wasn't speaking about him being rich in that aspect. You remember that when Mary now comes and brings the offer of purification, the firstborn that opens the womb, there is an offering, and Mary comes and offers two turtle doves. You were supposed to offer a lamb. That, that was the, the, the requirement. But if you were impoverished and a lamb was too much, then you could substitute the lamb, you could substitute the two turtle doves. The two turtle doves is what Mary and Joseph bring now in order to redeem Jesus. And so when you talk about Jesus being rich, it certainly wasn't at his birth. It certainly wasn't his time as a carpenter there in Nazareth and growing up. It certainly wasn't as an itinerant teacher moving about. Jesus did not have a large real estate holdings and build a financial empire that funded his ministry now personally as, as he went out. But we see that he was rich in a bygone and eternity past. He was rich in the glory the eclipsing light of the world. And I think about that in humility of Christ. You remember how Paul, who just got a glimpse of heaven, he got a glimpse of, uh, of heaven. And, and because of that glimpse, you know, he was able to say, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered even into the mind of man what God has prepared for you and and that simple glimpse of heaven the lord gives him a thorn in his flesh because otherwise he would have been of no earthly good after getting a glimpse of of heaven but jesus disrobes himself of that glory of that amazing presence of the Father, the co-eternal in existence before time ever was. And, and there comes a moment when he takes his glory off like a robe and sets it aside. And then, incarnation. He comes into this uh, world now, into this sin-ridden, fallen, depraved uh, world, leaving that glory behind. He, he who was rich now impoverishes uh, himself. He became poor, not only in, in Bethlehem, not only in his birth. Jesus wasn't a rags-to-riches success story. Starts in a manger, ends up king of the world, you know, and, and all. He wasn't rich in Nazareth. He certainly wasn't rich in Gethsemane. The poorness of spirit, weeping, 
sweating blood before the Lord. At Golgotha, being crucified there, we see his, his absolute dependence upon the Father. And it was for our sakes, it says, that he was willing to do that. It was his willingness to love us, the grace of giving, of the giving of uh, himself. When he was rich, he gave up all of his riches for you and for me. When that was what was required of him, when he was in heaven, <laughs> he was rich in heaven, he had to give all of that up to come and to rescue. And so he departed from his glory, from his riches when, when it was his glory. When, when he was poor, the only thing he had left to give was himself. And that's exactly what he gave. And no greater love as a man than this, than he would sacrifice himself for a friend. And so that sacrificial love, we see that Jesus is the example of generosity. In fact, Jesus is the most generous person who has ever lived. He taught us how to give. He taught us how to not hold anything back. And when it cost him everything, he willingly gave it for each and every one of us. When Christ invites us to follow him, he invites us into generosity. He invites us into being a conduit of blessing through our lives onto other. Jesus taught that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so the picture of us as a Christian is connected to God, who is the fountainhead of all blessings, that the blessings flow from the Father into our life, and that relationship that we have with Him, us now becoming rich, and then taking the richness of what God has given to us, and now passing it out. God doesn't want us to be a, a, a sister. He wants us to be a stream of of water. A cistern is there in the desert. They would build these collectors so that when it rained, the water would just collect and now they would have this great accumulation to be able to draw from. God doesn't want us to be these cisterns where we take the blessings of God and we hold on to them ourselves to be used later. He wants us to be connected to him, to be a stream where he flows it into us and we flow it out. And the more that we flow out, the more that he flows in. And now there is this beautiful movement of God's grace moving through us. And so uh, may we continue to be sanctified in the area of living, of loving, of giving. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, now the Spirit of the Lord be in our hearts and upon our lives. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. And thank you for setting that example, for teaching us what it means, Lord. For you are the one that demonstrated it for us. And that we have now been the recipients <laughs> 
of your grace, of your giving, of your sacrifice that has now blessed us infinitely and eternally. God, help us now to be your instruments. Help us to bless uh, others. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.